Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to study it, to preach it. Lord, thank you for the nation that you've allowed us to live in. And Lord, we're not perfect, but we're free. And Lord, thank you that, that we get to express that freedom here at church today. Lord, I'm thankful that there's no one coercing our language or prohibiting it. Lord, that allows us to preach your word with, word with boldness. Lord, thank you for that opportunity. Help us to be focused on it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm glad you all are here today. This Memorial Day weekend has been set aside ever since the Civil War to remember those who have died, those soldiers who have died to maintain our freedom and our liberty. Now, not everything our nation has done is right. Amen? That's not the point. Compared to every other nation that's ever existed, we are a just and a righteous nation. Um, and yet, the farther and farther we get down the road, the more inroads that secularism makes into our society the farther and farther we get away from any kind of claim to righteousness as a nation. One of the things that, that we need to remember, we are, the United States, is the most powerful nation in the history of the human race, militarily. If the Roman Empire was able to arise, the United States would destroy them in about three days. There's, there's nothing that's ever existed that could compare with the military might that the United States has. But like that great Bible scholar, Spider-Man's uncle, with much power comes much responsibility. Did I mess it up? But what is it? With great power comes what? Great responsibility. See, while you guys are watching Spider-Man, I was reading the Bible. See, that's the difference. <laughs> But honestly, as a nation, with the, you, you understand that we could destroy the world. It's crazy. You could destroy the world. So we have a need for righteousness, for righteous leaders, for righteous influence on this country. It's vital that we have that. And the good news is that is the foundation of the United States of America. It is godly people influencing our leaders and holding them accountable. But if we don't know what the Bible says, how can we hold them biblically accountable? Isn't that right? So it's our job to study. And so I thought today it would be a good thing on Memorial Day as we recognize those who have served. And let's do that now. If you've served in our military for one of our allies, would you stand up? I want to recognize you. Amen. Is Dr. Ree in the room? He's not, he always refuses to stand up. He must be in the overflow. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Caleb stuck his head around the corner there. He's serving right now. So praise God. Man, we're thankful for these people. These are the people that actually run into the battle, not away from it. Right? Unlike the Parkland police, these people run into the battle, not away from it. Man, I'm thankful for these people. How about that school teacher over in Noblesville, uh, Indiana? This week, that coach, that he actually ran toward the gun, got shot three times. That's, those are the kind of people that make the United States what it is. Amen? Amen? That make us what we are. You know, there are people all over the world that will fight for a cause. The question is, is that cause just? That's the question. You've got no problem getting soldiers. You've got no problem getting people that will kill someone else. The question is, is the cause just? Today I want us to look at this. The title of my message is simple. It is Fight. Fight. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight. Now what are the next two words? Of faith. This is so important. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour. Do you realize how much has been done in the name of Christ militarily that is just awful? Sinful. Wicked. Christians should never kill someone because of their belief structure. We should never imprison someone because of their belief structure. That should not happen. 
That's why the United States was founded. People came here because they were being persecuted for their beliefs. They were being tortured for their beliefs. They were being imprisoned for their beliefs. So they came to the United States, or they came to the colonies, but originally they began persecuting people who didn't believe like them. So when our nation was founded and the Constitution was established, this freedom of conscience, this liberty of belief, it's the foundation of who we are. So we are free to believe and we're free to express our beliefs. Is that right? But do we know enough to express it? How many of you want an untrained military defending you? Have you ever seen somebody fight who doesn't know how to fight? It is hilarious. It is so funny. You'll watch somebody. I did some boxing when I was young, and I was really good at getting hit. And so, you know, they teach you keep your hands in, keep your guard up. Man, you watch. Have you ever seen somebody get in a fight and they're doing all this kind of stuff? Do you know what's going to happen to that person? They're going to get beat up pretty bad because they don't know how to fight. They're not prepared. We don't want a military that doesn't know how to fight. Can you imagine sending people into the military who don't know how to use a gun? <laughs> They're laughing down here. It's just silly. Do you know what we're doing? We're sending Christians into the world to represent Christ who don't know how to fight biblically. The, the, the most important thing to realize when, you're, when there's a fight is that you're in it. Right? I don't know if you've ever been soccer punched. That's a bad deal. Right? You know, soccer punch, you guys know what that is, right? So somebody punches you when you don't know you're even in a fight. That's, that's what a coward does. But you know that Satan's a coward? He's a deceiver. And we have a world system that's going to try and sneak up on you. That's where we as believers need to recognize that we're in a fight and we need to, prepare to be prepared to fight biblically. You know, there are people all over the country that Westboro Baptist Church, they're fighting, but they're not fighting biblically. They're bringing reproach on the name of Christ. So what we need to realize is that we're in a fight. And look what the Bible says again, 1 Timothy 6, 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You might question, am I called to eternal life? The Bible says to, that Paul writing to Timothy that he was called. Am I called? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And then he was lifted up on that cross for you and for me. So you are called to eternal life. The question is, will you answer that call? Will you receive that gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered to you? The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. So the first, first thing I want to say is that we're in a fight. We're in a fight. And, but the good news is, according to Hebrews chapter 2, want to look at it? Hebrews chapter 2. Just a couple of books over. Hebrews chapter 2. And look at verse 10. We're in a fight, but we have a captain. For it became him, this is Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we are in a fight and we have a captain. That captain, the captain of the Lord's army, the captain of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He's our commander. The Bible says you believe in Him, then walk even as He walked. The Bible says that we are to be like Christ. That's who we are. So we need to realize that we're in a fight, but that we also have a captain. Yeah, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll show you something. 1 All right, the Bible says in verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded. That's the teen class. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. But I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That word unruly there in your Bible, what that would have meant to these people was these are people that, that don't march in time. So anybody ever see Gomer Pyle? You ever see, and so he's there, he's in the military, shows I am, right? He's in the military, and the whole 
army is marching one way and he's going another. That's, that's walking unruly. You see, if we have a captain, we're to follow that captain. That means we're not allowed to practice Christianity the way we want to. We must practice Christianity the way our captain has commanded us to. You know, there are a lot of people doing things in the name of Christ that Christ would not have done or would not have approved of because they're not following the orders from their high command. You see, our orders come from the Scriptures. And if we do anything that violates the Scriptures, then we are not fighting the way that we are to fight. We need to fight the good fight of faith. We're not to walk unruly. We're to walk in the way that our captain has commanded us to. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Part of that is going to be difficult. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Therefore, or thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There was a Christian Missionary Alliance missionary. His name was E. Stanley Jones, who's famous. I believe he was in India. And someone had said to him that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. And he said, no, Christianity has been found hard and so left untried. You see, it's much easier to build a religion where you can follow all these steps and do all these things to appease a holy God. It's much more difficult to just say, Lord, I give up my will and I surrender my will to yours. Thy will be done. That's much different, isn't it? It's, it's much better to have our ideas and do what we want to do rather than follow the command of our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a fight. And not only are we in a fight, but it's, it, it is a good fight. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verse 7. I hope that we can say this when it's our time to go to be with the Lord. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. But what's it about? I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. We are fighting the good fight of faith. But not only is it a fight. I've been in some fights. I'm married. Um, she wins all of them too. It's just unbelievable. All right, so look at First Timothy. Look at First Timothy 1 and verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now, how many of you can tell that there's a difference between a fight and a war? Right? I could have a fight with Eric Kindig, and he's in better shape than me, so I'd be in trouble. We could have a fight, but it wouldn't really have any ramifications other than the people around us. A war can consume the whole globe. There's a difference. And the apostle wanted Timothy to know, yes, it's a fight, but it's, it's much more than just you, that it's a warfare. Not only is it a warfare, but it's a global war. No matter how many conscientious objectors there are in the ranks, the real Bible believer is a trained fighter equipped to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the adversary and slug it out. We are not alone. We're part of an army. But it's not an army of physical battle. It's an army of spiritual battle. And we're going to see that in a minute. How are we supposed to fight? Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. See, as, as, as American citizens or as people who live in the United States, we have the protection of the greatest military might in the world. That's not going to help us at all in this spiritual battle. That's not going to help us at all. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The older I get, the more I recognize I have no strength in me. 
For this spiritual battle, the enemy is too strong. The influence of the enemy on the people of God. You know, when I watch you young people and I see the influences on you, this is a spiritual battle. Some of you young men, you get to a place where you think that you can do whatever you want with a girl and God doesn't care about that. You can't. You need to recognize that you are not strong enough to win this battle. That it's a spiritual battle. You need to trust the Lord. You need to trust the godly leadership that God has given you. For example, this leader is saying, don't be alone with a girl because you're not strong enough. Young men, don't be alone with a girl. You're not strong enough. Amen. Our sufficiency is plainly of Him and not of ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Have you all noticed that Christianity has become kind of soft? It's so interesting. You listen to, to preachers on the radio, or it, it, and it's, everything is very nice, and it's all about... You know, your life, I understand that your life is hard. And every Christian song is about, you know, you're going to make it through and everything's so hard and all of that. Can I tell you, your life's really not that hard. <laughs> go out, go, some, go to some little country in Africa where they are, uh, when I was in Ghana, watching these people whose life, average life expectancy was 35 or 40. And they're, they're just to exist that day took every ounce of labor that they had. Our life's not that hard. All right? So Christianity has become very soft. What we need to recognize is that we're in a battle and there's no call for soft soldiers. Amen. There is no call for soft soldiers. We need to know what we believe. We need to be able to stand up and speak the truth. Not only that, we need to be able to endure that hardness. What happens when you stand up for the truth? People push back because we live in a world that hates godliness, that hates righteousness, that wants to destroy our God and destroy our faith. That's why we fight the good fight of faith. We're in a battle, but we're too soft. When we get to the place where it's too hard to come to church, come on. Folks, let's fight that good fight of faith. You know, we're going to be in heaven with people that died because they went to church. Right? Now, I know some of you guys think it gets so long that you're going to die during the service before lunch, but that's different. There are people that died because they, would, they, they said, I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself together with other believers. The Bible commands me to do that. I'm going to do that. So they went to church knowing that they were going to die. Folks, let's... Let's be people of faith. Let's be strong. But we have to realize that, that strength doesn't come from us. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Sorry, I might have said 1 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse 5. Verse 4 is great. And, and such trust have we through Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So that law, that Old Testament law, it killed, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, gives us life, eternal life, through the Scriptures, through this New Testament that we have in the New Testament that was in Jesus Christ shed blood, our sufficiency of plainly of Him and not of ourselves. We put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3.3 3 says. The man who marches out to this battlefield had better not rely on his education, wisdom, talents, money, brains, culture, background, breeding, reputation, character, or natural abilities. It is not a battle that we can win ourselves. We must walk in the Spirit and realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are spiritual 
to the pulling down of strongholds. And we'll look at that passage in a minute. But we need to understand that we have an enemy. You can't have a war without an enemy. Who is the enemy? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Boy, and Peter definitely understood this. First Peter chapter 5, and look at verse 8. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We have an adversary, and that adversary is the devil. And that devil, according to the book of Ephesians, is the god of this world. He has established an entire world system that is against us. That's why we need to recognize that we cannot win this battle on our own. He has made us part of a platoon, and that platoon is the local church. You're here, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are here to stand shoulder to shoulder with you in this battle. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. You need someone who can watch your six. You need someone who can see your blind spots and be there to help you. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you're in the battle, if you're in a war, do you want someone that is on your side with you? Or do you want someone who is from the enemy with you? See, we don't understand that this entire world system is against God. And yet many Christians, they take their advice from the enemy. Amen? Worldly wisdom, worldly ideas about everything. I was going to preach a message this morning about the Marxist influence on our society. And I'm still going to do that. We're going to do a new Shaken series. We're going to do an updated Shaken series. And Marxism is influencing everything that's going on, whether it's human sexuality, whether it's finances, churches. There are so many churches that their, their mission work is handing out bottles of water. Now, if people need water, give them the water. But they need living water much more than physical water. Who's our enemy? It's Satan. It's possible to defeat him. Look at Second um, Timothy chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages. When I was in high school, a team from Bob Jones University, a drama team, came and they did a play about the life of the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul quoted this passage, it impacted me so much as a, I think I must have been in 10th or 11th grade this passage has always struck me. He says this, so if you remember, we read in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Go with me to verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. In other words, a bunch of people deserted while he was fighting. Notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So we have an enemy, but through the power of God, that enemy can be defeated, but we can't defeat him. He's undefeated on the battlefield. There's only one that's ever defeated him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I like this. Someone wrote, Gideon's 300 didn't go into action with M18, 75-millimeter recoilless rifles, bazookas, grenades, napalm, lugers, mausers, crags, Enfields, Springfields, bayonets, trench knives, Thompson submachine guns, axes, spades, bars, mortars, tanks, artillery planes, and switchblades. And neither do we. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Do you see the distinction between this militaristic uh, type of religion, whether it's Christianity or any other, that believes that they militarily invade a country and convert them militarily? that that's completely unbiblical? How many of you recognize that? It is completely unbiblical. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, carnal means physical. 
but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? Casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? They're things we believe that aren't true. I could imagine that I'm 6'4", but that's not true. I could imagine I were young again, but that's not true. Imaginations are things that we believe that are not true. And so the Bible says that that is our battle, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, who is our captain. You see, if we're going to war a warfare, if we're going to understand that we're in a battle and that the enemy is more powerful than any other human being or than any human being, he's not a human being, but more powerful than any human being, we must understand that it is a spiritual battle and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual and that our strength is not our own. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. Look at Revelation 12, 9. You know, the Bible says that let him take heed. He that uh, I'm going to mess it up. Let me just paraphrase it. You've got to take heed if you think you're strong because that's when you're going to fall. Right? I mean, we've all done that. You know, I like to play golf, and sometimes I think, man, I've got this. And next thing you know, you can't even hit the ball anymore. It's just so interesting how we are. And spiritually, we can become so confident that we don't recognize that we're about to go off a cliff. We don't understand that we're in a battle. Look at uh, Revelation 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called, called the devil, and of course this is yet future, and Satan, which, now I want you to see this, please don't miss this, which deceiveth some people in the world. Is that what it says? The whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is the accuser, but he is also the deceiver. And the Bible says he deceives the whole world. What we need to understand is we need to examine our thinking to find out what of the devil's lies have I swallowed. What of the devil's deceit has infected my thinking? And then what are we supposed to do? Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans 12. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. All right? So don't miss that. So we as Christians, all right, we're Gentiles. Most of us are not from a Jewish race. We're Gentiles. But we're not supposed to walk like the other Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. So somebody tell me, what is vanity? Emptiness, nothingness. How many of you know people that are empty-headed? I would say that when I was in Bible college. I'd, I'd ask a girl out and somebody said, how did it go? I said, well, you know, I, I looked into her eyes and saw the back of her head. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't very bright. Empty-headed. I didn't make, she, Isaiah was looking at Laura. It's not Laura. She, see, I married her. That's different. <laughs> it, it, it's so important that we understand that the world is walking, thinking about nothing. It's so funny. Somebody looking at their phone, walking into a fountain. Those are my favorite videos. <laughs> I love that. The Bible says that they've received the recompense of their reward, which is meat. God has built consequences into the universe. If you're stupid enough to walk looking at your phone, it's good for you to get hit by a car. I love that. We're not supposed to be empty-headed. These people are walking in the vanity of their mind. They're not thinking. They don't realize they're in a war. Wouldn't it be bad to walk into a battle not knowing there was a battle going on? 
Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So not only are they empty-headed, the vanity of their mind, they're ignorant. That means they could know things, but they've chosen not to. And their hearts are darkened and blind. They're completely ignorant and dead spiritually. Now, how many of you recognize that's the world? Seriously, you recognize that's the world. But I think what we don't recognize is Paul is telling Christians, don't be that. That means Christians can be that. Verse 19, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Do you know why some of the other monotheistic religions, the religions that believe in one God, do you know why they reject Christianity? Because of the godlessness of Christians. Because of the immorality of Christians. Because of the nakedness of Christian women. Because of the the immorality, the, the sexual proclivities of Christian men. That's How many of you recognize that's the world that we live in? Gandhi, who was a pig himself, said, I would be a Christian if not for Christians. But then he would have given up his, you know, eight-year-old niece that he would sleep with or whatever. Wicked people, right? But we Christians, we're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be different from the world. We're fighting a good warfare. And, And it's interesting. You know, we live in a time where it's very uncomfortable for preachers to speak this plainly. How many of you recognize that? I always think it's funny that the manliest preacher on television is Joyce Myers. Right? Joel Osteen talks like this. God wants you to be happy. Joyce Myers says, you need to get right with God. I was talking to my husband, Bob. I said, Bob, listen to my preaching. It's it's just interesting the way that Christianity is. And I I think it's interesting that when someone goes into the military and all of a sudden they're being yelled at and they're being, you know, trying to, they're trying to get them ship shape, right? (laughs) Trying to get them put together. And can you imagine some young guy looking at a sergeant? I just don't think you should talk to me that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's just not going to work out real well for him. And the Bible makes it very clear, and, and the Apostle Paul, the way that he would write, that we need to war a good warfare, the way he warned people about their empty-headedness and the blindness of their hearts and their lasciviousness and all that that's being listed here. He's telling Christians not to walk that way. Verse 19, or verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation. Remember that conversation in the Bible, that's your lifestyle. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And look, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? Your mind. Why? Because we're deceived. We're either completely empty-headed or we're blinded. We're deceived. And we need to have our mind renewed. And when we do that, it says in verse 24, "...and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness." So this is a decision that is made. Look, if you think that you're going to get in shape by sitting in front of the television and eating Twinkies, you're wrong. Right? Now, of course, you may never die because Twinkies have so many preservatives in them. You know, you just live forever. But you'll be soft. You're not going to get strong by doing nothing. And you're not going to know the Word of God and know the truth by doing nothing. And you're not going to be able to fight in this world against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, and the pride of life by just floating along. Yeah, I'm going to give God an hour a week. And if the preacher goes a little long, I'm going to give him the Baptist salute. We need to be faithful and invest in God's people, invest in God's Word, learn and grow and continue to grow. We're fighting against the devil. Look at Romans chapter 12. I know you all know this verse. 
Romans chapter 12. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. So should Christians be just like the world? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. You're not empty-headed. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to stand against the wiles of the devil because he has principalities, powers, thrones, princes, kings, mayors, popes, bishops, philosophers, scientists, armies, navies, kingdoms, councils, and educators at his disposal. He can muster a host in 24 hours that Russia could not muster in 50 years. His hordes stretched through the centuries, and the roll call shows that among the atheists, perverts, whoremongers, idolaters, demons, devils, liars, extortioners, embezzlers, murderers, sadists, and blackmailers are also enlisted Bible scholars, Bible teachers, born-again Christians, moral philanthropists, godly ascetics, and mystical spiritualists. We have a world that mixes Christianity with all kinds of wrong thinking, and we need to know the truth so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. We have to do it. Of course, he tells us, first of all, stand with your loins girt about with the truth. That's the loose ends of your life tied up with the Word of God. Having on the helmet of salvation, you need to know what you believe about the gospel and the breastplate of righteousness that guards your heart. And notice you're putting something on that's not yours. You don't have any righteousness. You need to put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And taking that shield of faith wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You don't have to fall. If you believe God, you know what you believe about the Word of God. You've got the, tie, the, the loose ends of your life tied up with the Word of God. You've got the breastplate of righteousness on that shield of faith. But then you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you go into the world and you don't take a physical sword and harm people. You take the Word of God and help people. That's the battle that we're in. Possibly Satan's greatest tool is the Christian conscientious, conscientious objector. You know, there are Christians when the Bible says, Fight the good warfare of faith. I think of that Ray Stevens song, I Don't Want To. You all know which one I'm talking about? The Pirates of Penzance. Have you heard that Ray Stevens song? He's telling all these people what to do. And there's this little guy that says, I don't want to. What do you want to do? I want to sing and dance. <laughs> you know, there are Christians that are... So Google Ray Stevens, the pirate song, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. This is what we're supposed to do. But what happens is the pastor stands up and says, Folks, we're fight we need to fight a good warfare. And there are Christians that say, yeah, I don't think that we need to fight. They're conscientious objectors. Why do they do that? Some just don't realize that we're actually in a war. Some are afraid of conflict. If I, if I speak the truth, they won't like it. We just watched that Churchill movie. I always say it wrong. What was it called? The Darkest Hour. And it, it showed the battle between Winston Churchill and... Um, Yeah, Neville Chamberlain. And how Chamberlain wanted to appease Hitler. Wanted to make How do you make peace with Hitler? It's crazy. It's just insane. And, but how many of you think that Hitler is as bad as Satan, the god of this world? No. And yet people want to make peace with the world. The Bible says that the love of the world is enmity with God, that is at war with God. So Satan's greatest tool is the Christian conscientious objector. Some don't realize there's a war. Some are afraid of conflict. Some are distracted by the cares of this world. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and it says, No soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this world. Why? So they can please him that's called him to be a soldier. You know, can you picture somebody tweeting when they're in a battle? Right? Hold that bullet for a minute. You're done. You're done. You're going to be a little grease spot. Some are distracted by the cares of this world. How about this? Something victory will come through compromise with the enemy. 
How many of you think that Europe would be a better place if they had conceded to Hitler? No. No, compromise with the enemy, but we want to compromise with the world. How about this? Some think victory will come through appeasing the enemy. You know, there are people that think that we should stop praying in Jesus' name when the uh, Israeli embassy was opened. and Man, people got so mad because Robert Jeffress, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, prayed, and he prayed in Jesus' name. And there were Christians that were criticizing him because his message is too exclusive. That's because he's a Christian. A Christian, I know this is going to shock you. Cover your children's ears. A Christian is a follower of Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Do we hate Buddhists? Do we hate Muslims? Do we hate Rastafarians? No. Why? Because our Savior loved the world so much that He laid down His life for them. And we're supposed to love these people, but love them enough to tell them how they can be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to realize that we're in a fight and the world is never going to give in. They're never going to give up, but we can win some. Don't glamorize war. One man wrote, The tough old liquor head W.T. Sherman took one look at the terrain in front of him at Atlanta in 1864 and said grimly, War is hell. When an infantryman hollers, Give them hell, he is desiring to give his adversary something as near to hell as you will ever get uh, on this side of the lake of fire. All of the elements are there. The confusion, James Jones wrote about that in the Thid Red Line. The cursing, Norman Mailer, the, the naked and the dead. The screaming and crying, all quiet on the western front. The hopelessness from the crack of doom. The fire, the Fairbach, uh, that kind of war. The never dying worm from the bamboo doctor. And throughout all, the misery, discomfort, insanity, and filth of the battlefield. People think war is glamorous. It's horrible. Let's never be warmongering Christians. Amen? Let's not glamorize war. But we need to recognize that we are in a war. And it's a spiritual war. And as bad as the carnage that's left on a physical battlefield... Much worse than that is the carnage that's left on the spiritual battlefield because that carnage is eternal. We need to stand. Look at, I need to be done, but look at Jude. Right before the book of Revelation, that little book of Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that is, there's only one way that everyone gets saved, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith. You know, one of the things I was talking with... Um, you know, when I was over in Lebanon and we had pastors from Iraq and Jordan, Sudan, Egypt, and um, uh, I, was, I was asking the pastor, Pastor Maher, he pastors in Baghdad, he, he's from there. Saddam Hussein put him in prison for years when he was 19 for preaching the gospel. And I roomed with him. And so I, I was asking him, why is it that when, so remember, when the Iraq war started, Iraq had the fourth largest standing army in the world. And what, somebody could tell me, was it 13 hours or something that we beat them? It was something like that. Why? Because we're that much better? Infantry, I don't know. We're definitely better, but that, no, they, they ran. They stopped fighting. And I asked Pastor Maher, why? Why did they do that? 
And he said, they don't have anything to believe in. They didn't believe in their... Now, they believe, they believe in their religion. Don't get me wrong on that. But they didn't believe in their nation. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine if somebody invaded the United States? Do you know how many rednecks there are? And they all have like 20 guns. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Merle Haggard, you're walking on the fight, and when you're running down my country, Hoss, you're walking on the fight inside of me. How many of you feel that way? Amen. They, they didn't believe in it. Do you know why Christians turn and run? They don't believe in anything. See, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. There need to be some non-negotiables, some things that we're not willing to give up. That, that common salvation, that faith once delivered to the saints. What is that faith that was once delivered to the saints? Well, it's the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. The deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is God, Hebrews 1.8. The Godhead Trinity, 1 John 5.7. Christ's vicarious atonement, that is that He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He was my substitute on the cross. That's uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Then the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to remember the feet of the resurrection. That's the fact of the resurrection. It's a recorded fact of history. Extra-biblical sources believe, they, they give the account that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The empty tomb. Why did the religious leader say, well, tell somebody they stole his body? Because the empty tomb, there's no body there. If you can find Jesus Christ's body in the tomb, then Christianity is dead. Then the appearances. He appeared to more than 500 people, more than 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And then the transformed lives. You know, a lot of people die for false religion. But people don't die for something they know to be untrue. All of the disciples of Jesus Christ died. Because something happens to a man when they see someone get up from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Non-negotiable. Salvation by grace through faith alone and not of works. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Then the visible return of Christ, that He is coming back to this earth to rule and reign. Every Christian believes those things. And then we as a Baptist church, we hold our Baptist distinctives. A born-again church membership. You can't, you can't be a member of Grace Baptist Church if you're not saved. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization telling us what to do. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. You don't come and confess your sins to me. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And when you're born again, He is our high priest. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We can do that. We are priests. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The priesthood of the believer. There's not the office of the priest. There's the priesthood of the believer. I'm not your priest. I'm your pastor. I can pray for you and you can pray for me. Amen? Amen. The priesthood of the believer. Two ordinances. There's not a bunch of sacraments. There's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism follows salvation. It makes you a member of the New Testament church. And the Lord's Supper is the, the passion play that we put on to demonstrate Christ's death till He returns. The baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then individual soul liberty, you can't force someone to, be, to believe. You give them the gospel and it's up to them whether or not they believe. That's individual soul liberty. And then separation of church and state. Because we believe in individual soul liberty, that you cannot have a state church, a government that coerces people into believing one particular thing. You can't do that. There are two offices in the church, the pastor and the deacon. There's not archbishops and metropolitans and all of these other things that can command the people in the building. There's only pastors and deacons. The pastor is God's leader in the church to teach people the Word of God, and the deacons are the servants God brings to the church to help the pastor minister to the people. That's what a church is made up of, a saved church membership. The Bible is our sole authority. We don't have creeds and councils that tell us what to believe. Our authority is the Word of God. That's it. That is our foundation. These are our non-negotiables. And let me say something. All of you young people, all of you young people, you need to establish some non-negotiables in your life that you're going to remain pure until you get married. That's a non-negotiable. Girls, if some guy wants to get you in his car, say, no, this is a non-negotiable. I belong to Jesus Christ. Young men, you need to respect these girls as sisters in Jesus Christ. How many of you want to kiss your sister? No. 
We need to honor them. You need to respect yourselves. You need to establish some non-negotiables. It's summertime. Girls, you need to say, my body belongs to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to show it to the world. Cover yourselves up. Non-negotiables. It, wouldn't it be awful if somebody went to hell because they wouldn't receive Christ because a girl looked like a hooker who called herself a Christian? Let's make sure that we have established non-negotiables. Men, stay pure to your wife. Honor her. Treat her with respect. The woman has been elevated in Christianity like in no place. Everywhere else in the world, they're subjugated. They're beaten. They're traded. They're property. They can't testify in court. Only in Christianity is the woman honored. And the place you ought to be honored most is in your own home. These are non-negotiables. Ladies, revere and respect your husband. Treat him with respect. These are non-negotiables. We're in a warfare. God has provided us institutions to help us in this warfare. The home. The home ought to be a respite from the world, not a place where the world has control. The church ought to be made up of godly homes where we have godly people who desire to come together and fight a good warfare. In Memorial Day, we look back and remember those who have died. But we can look back over the martyrs of Christian history who have given their lives over things as simple as Christian baptism. And we need to recognize that we're distracted by the world. We're entangled with the world. Isn't it wonderful that through the grace of God, He's given us all things freely to enjoy? We're not legalists here. I'm not standing up here and and making a list of behaviors. I'm saying crazy things like girls ought to put clothes on. Whoa! And that we ought to be kind to people. And that we ought to be holy. And that we ought to come to church. And that we ought to study the Bible. And that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. That means we war a good warfare of faith. That the whole, the whole duty of the Christian is to bring glory to God by representing Him well in the world. Amen? Man, I don't know about you, I love a good war movie. Man, I love to see the camaraderie. I love to see the sacrifice. It moves me. I cry. It it, it moves me. But you know what moves me more? When someone's willing to give up their life for Jesus Christ. That's who we're supposed to be. We need to recognize that we're in a fight. That we have an enemy. That that enemy is more powerful than us. And that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. And we need to recognize that Satan's greatest tool is the conscientious objector, the Christian that says, can't we all just get along? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be the people that you would have us to be.